0: Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this morning's teaching time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you and to honor you and to praise you. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to hear from you. Lord, as we dive into some scripture today and just listen to your word and hear your word, help us, Lord, to hear it new and help us to hear it fresh and Lord not only hear it but then Lord help us to be doers of your word help us to to practice what we're hearing Lord it's so easy it's so easy Lord for us to come in this place to worship you and hear your word proclaim and then go home and continue living the same way Lord I pray that would not be I pray, Lord, that if we hear your scripture proclaimed and, Lord, as we hear your scripture taught and we start to grasp it and understand it, Lord, give us hearts that want to put into action what we're learning, to be doers of your word. And so, Father, I pray and ask you to speak in this room right now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the last two weeks, and today we wrap it up, we've just been asking the question, are you growing? And taking this opportunity here at the beginning of a school year to stop and look at, am I growing and how is my growth happening in Christ? Am I on a path of growth or have I become maybe stagnant or stale or, or maybe I haven't even started on that path? And you're saying, what does it look like to have a path of growth? To look at that. And we've been having, so to speak, dining room conversations Or coffee shop conversations. I've said if I could, I'd bring a dining room table in here, and we'd all gather around it, because these are conversations that I've had with people, and it seems like they're growing more and more, where people are like, I'm stuck in my walk with God, or my faith is struggling, or my marriage is struggling, and I need to know how do I grow in Christ. And so in those conversations, a lot of times we just sit down around a table, and so I wanted to bring that to us as a church, and us just sit down, and more than... It just be a sermon more to just say hey, here's some things I've learned in my years of ministry, and just let's sit down and open our Bibles and let's get out a piece of paper and let's let's consider some some thoughts in putting scripture together in our mind in a way that makes sense in a way that, in, a, in a way that says. Here's how you walk with Christ. Here's how Christ will change your life as one of our major goals of the church is that we connect with Christ and make Christ the center to experience life change. And so since I couldn't pull out a piece of paper and just put it here before you and see it, we're kind of doing that by using a little bit of technology and throwing it up on the screen. And so we're going to look at, and i just be reminded, some of you go, Brian, you've said this the last two weeks. I think it's because it's so important that we get this down. What we've been talking about, what we're talking about today, if you can grasp this and then put it into practice, life will really start to change. And it doesn't change overnight. It's not like, oh, wow, I started doing that yesterday and it's drastically different. We live in a fast food society, remember, where we, we want everything to happen and we want it to happen now. But if you put this into practice, the thoughts that I'm teaching you, you put it into practice and you start living this way, you'll start noticing life to be different. We've got to be reminded of what our goal is. Our goal is to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. That's what Jesus said in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So put God first, put others second, put yourself third. Someone sent me that about a a basketball league, a youth league called I Am Third. Some of you guys are familiar with that. So we put God first, neighbor second, and ourselves third. But when we learn to do that and we keep that in balance and we make that our priority of life, not, not that it's wrong to say I want to pursue success in my business or I want to pursue success in my hobbies or pursue success in whatever area you want to pursue success, but when those things come before these top three goals, they're going to get out of line and life is going to be hectic and crazy. And sometimes downright stressful and overwhelming. And so we got to recalibrate and say, okay, what's the goal for living? What am I trying to do? Yes, you may be a doctor, but if you're a doctor and you don't have love God, love your neighbor, love yourself as your top three goals, you're going to be stressed and overwhelmed and and life's going to be crazy. You may be a school teacher and you don't have these as your top three priorities. You may be a mom or a dad. If you don't have these as your top three priorities, life is going to become hectic and, and out of control. And so we've got to keep our priorities in line. And so we must do that. Now, the challenge is that is that life happens. Talked about this. Life happens. Money issues at home. Raising kid issues, family issues, health issues, social issues, job issues, maybe issues with raising or taking care of your older parents and how do I care for them? And you can put whatever you want. I call it the wheel of life. Life is going to happen, is it not? Maybe it's happening this week to you. Maybe you've walked in here today and you're like, yeah, I understand, Brian. You've been talking about this wheel of life, and boy, it's been spinning awful fast this week. And as the wheel of life goes, sometimes it slows down a little bit. Many times it picks up. But how do we keep this in balance? How do we keep life in balance? Because life is going to happen until the day Jesus calls you home, until God says, come home, my good and faithful servant. We have to deal with the things that we walk in in this life. And we can either walk in it stressed and overwhelmed and and burden, or we can walk in this life with peace and contentment and joy in the midst of whatever we're walking through. And we call that the wheel of life. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to do it? What's going to be the center of life? Who's going to help us keep control? Is it going to be one, me, myself, and I? That's a choice we have. We're going to manage life by what I know, what I've learned, what my mom taught me, grandma and grandpa taught me, books I've read, things I've studied, magazines I look at, blogs I, I read, Facebook posts and what we were saying. That's self. Or am I going to do it by the Holy Spirit? And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you're not a Christian, we want to help you on that journey. We'd love to have those conversations. Use your connection card. Put on there, hey, I want to talk. Or during our communion time, I invite you. Step in the back of the room. I'll be back there and say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I need to know what it means to be a Christian. We want to help you on that journey. But when you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And John chapter 14 is the key passage here that we looked at that tells us that the Holy Spirit is our counselor, or our advocate, is our guide. He's our, he's our helper that comes alongside of us, and he wants to teach us all things. And that's who Jesus told the disciples, he says, I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you so that he can teach you all things, teach you how to be a mom, how to be a dad, how to be a good worker, how to be a man or a woman of God, how to walk in this world. The Holy Spirit will do that. And so the goal that we're working towards is how do we have the Holy Spirit at the center of life, walking with Jesus, center of everything we do. And so we've looked at two avenues of that. One is worship. We want God in the center of life. We've got to have worship as a high priority. We look at the scripture that comes from Hebrews 10, chapter 24 and 20, or verses 24 and 25, that says, do not neglect the gathering together. Pat yourself on the back. Go ahead, you can do that. Pat yourself on the back. You made a good decision today. Because you're living out that scripture when it says, don't neglect the gathering together. In other words, get together and worship together. Get together and be in God's word together. And so you made a great decision because there's many other decisions you could have made this morning. And maybe you were tempted to say, you know what, today would be a great day to sleep in. The week has been long and I'm looking ahead at my calendar and if I could get a little bit extra sleep, I could do that. Today you could have made a decision, honey, let's just go out for breakfast. Today you could have made a decision, let's just look at the newspaper, let's just stay home and do everything, let's stay home and mow my grass, let's go to the golf course, let's take my kids to this trip or that trip. You could have made a lot of decisions today. You made a great decision today by honoring God and saying, you know what? I'm going to be in worship and my family's going to be in worship. And God honors that and he does something in this gathering. And so we've lifted that up to say if you want the Holy Spirit being a center of life, worship's got to be a top priority. The second area that we dove into last week was this idea of groups. Groups. Getting involved in a smaller group of people. We walked through Acts chapter 2 last week and how the first Christians, they come to Christ, they're baptized in Jesus, and then what do they say, you know, what are they going to do? And so what are they going to do? They decide that they are going to stay together. Don't worry about it, Dustin. Don't worry about it. We're going to ignore it. Um, So they decide to stay together, and the way they stay together and grow together was getting together to study God's Word, to fellowship, and to to share together and break bread together and pray together. And they did that from home to home. And so we follow that pattern. We call it growth groups. And that's why I'm encouraging you with the card that's in your bulletin and the list of groups that we have that are active this semester to get involved in a group. And our groups are set up. Next week, we'll start into the book of James. And James, I got to tell you, this is just kind of a pre, you know, plug for this. James is a tremendous book. You want to know how to live a life as a Christian? You need to be here and not miss James. And we're going to dive into James pretty deeply. We're going to go nine weeks through the book of James, and then we'll have a growth guide that goes along with that. You take some notes on that on a Sunday, some personal Bible study with that, and then you take it to your group. Last week, we had 59 people sign up for groups. Man, I'm excited. That was awesome for a first Sunday. And you're looking at it and trying to figure it out. And I said last week, and some of the group leaders were like, what, Brian? We will squeeze you in. We're not going to shut them off and say, "Oh, there's 14 people in the house." We're going to we're pushing the group leaders to squeeze them in. If we get too full, we're going to figure out and say do something else somewhere else. But we want you in a group where you're some other Christians studying God's word, living out those principles. And the last area is service, which you already saw in that triangle. And so I'm not going to fight with the iPad anymore this week. We can't figure out why I just want to do that. But the last area I want to talk to you is about service today. It's like a three-legged stool. I find that when you want to be in Christ and you want Christ to be a center of life, if you do these three things, you make worship a priority, you make groups a priority, you make service a priority, then you'll start growing with God, and those things will help lead you onto other avenues of growth. But if you're not doing those three basic things, you're probably not going to do other spiritual disciplines that are available to us. And quite honestly, church, I just got to tell you, in a life of ministry... What I've seen is when one of those things are taken out, you say, oh, I'm going to go to my group, I'm not going to go to worship. Or I'm going to go to worship, I'm not going to be part of a group. Or I'm not, I'll, I'll serve people and, and serve in kingdom work, but I'm not going to do groups or worship. When, when one area is taken out, you get out of balance, and usually your walk with God gets out of balance, and that's when struggles and trials and difficulties come. And if you want to have a healthy balance in that wheel of life, these three priorities of worship and groups and service are a must. Now for today, looking at this idea of service, I want us to, to hear a bunch of Scripture, because Scripture speaks so clearly to this. So if you have your Bibles, I'm not going to have all this on the screen, it's too much to put up there, you're going to have your Bibles, get ready to flip and get ready to turn, we're going to begin in Romans chapter 12. We're going to hear what the Apostle Paul said to the early church and early Christians. I love it. If we want to understand how to walk in Christ, I think it's so important to go back to the early Christians and what did they do. Because what they were doing still works today and what they were instructed. And so I want you to hear from the Word of God on this idea of being a servant and the idea of being a worker, the idea of using your gifts that God has blessed you with. Look at Romans chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I think Paul writes those words because they were dealing with some people that had some arrogance issues, some humility issues. He's like, hey, you all need to chill out. Some of you think you're really good, but you're not really good. And some of you guys are thinking you're better than other people, and you're really not better than other people. He goes on and says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, he's like, none of you are better than anybody else, and we're all needed in this idea called God's kingdom, the church When you just look at that right there, Paul addressing early Christians and talking to them, he said, look it, we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. And he names some and says, some prophesy, some serve, some teach, some encourage, some contribute to the needs of others, some give generously, some lead. He's basically saying, all of us are gifted. We're all in this together. Are you using those gifts? I don't believe that's an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul was listing there every single thing that was available. He was taking an example and saying, here are some things that are available, but not an exhaustive list. And he's saying, make sure you're using however you've been gifted by God. Make sure you're using it for the body. And the only way to use a gift is to be a servant, is to say, you know what, God has gifted me and I'm going to use these gifts. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And some of this you'll hear the very similar language because Paul writes similar things to different groups of Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4, he says there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits; To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines, just as God determines. But you look there, and Paul's writing, and some things he mentions here to the church in Corinth are different to the Christians that he was mentioning to in Rome. And some of the ideas that he's saying there, that there's the message that there's wisdom, and there's faith, and there's miraculous powers, and there's prophesying, and there's speaking in tongues. He's naming again, here are different gifts. But what does he say? All these work for the, from one spirit. He gives each one just as he determines. If he was sitting here today, he may some of, he may be saying. Hey, some of us here have the gift of teaching. Some of you in this room have the gift of preaching. Some of you in this room have artistic gifts. Some of you in this room have singing gifts. Some of you in this room have listening gifts. Some of you in this room have encouraging gifts. He would be naming gifts that are functioning. Some of you in this room have carpentry gifts. Some of you in this room have painting gifts. Some of you in this room have construction gifts. Some of you in this room have technology gifts. Some of you in this room have computer gifts. Some of you in this room have web developing gifts. Some of you in this room have app developing gifts. He would be naming gifts of today. There were some of you understand. Some of you today can look at a, an iPad or a computer and you just boom, 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 you understand. And I'm going, that's a foreign language to me. I was at the Apple store yesterday getting some help and the girl's just clicking ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what are you doing? She said, you go home and just do that. I was like, what? what? What did you just say, honey? I said, can you slow down and show me that once again? She said, you need to go here and you need to go here. She's very gifted and understand it. She's been trained, but she understands it. Some of you are like that. You have great gifts, and God has blessed you with a mind to grasp certain things. That's why some people are doctors, and some people are lawyers, and some people are school teachers, and some people are nurses, and some people are plumbers, and some people are electricians. We are all different people with different gifts and different abilities. And Paul would say, God's giving you those gifts. Use them for his kingdom, for his work. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Again, Paul's writing again, he's the author, remember he's written over half the New Testament once he became a Christian, and he writes letters to churches trying to encourage them in their faith, and so this is written to the church at Ephesus. So he's written to those in Rome, he's written to those in Corinth, and now he's writing to those who are in Ephesus. Different cities, so you're going to see some similar language. In verse 11 he says, maybe I'll back up to... Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 11. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and some teachers, those are all mentions of levels of leadership. Those are all Paul addressing the church and saying, some of us have some gifts of leadership, and he says to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, some of people are supposed to be leading out. Some are supposed to be setting the direction and then helping others to come along so they can use their God-given gifts for service. Some of you in this room have some gifts of leadership that you've been sitting on, you've been holding back on. And so I'm just going to let you know, some of you will be receiving a letter. We're going to be sending a letter out to the members of our church we're we're looking at doing some very specific leadership development in our church over this fall. Start praying about that right now. Start thinking about that and thinking, man, should I be one of those? Should I be jumping up and helping lead out in, in our church in our community here called Centerpoint Christian Church? That's what Paul was addressing. Some people need to consider serving in that kind of realm. Now go back to First Corinthians chapter twelve. Again, now this is the second passage, second part of this. Paul. Again, you know, just in the church at Corinth, he says, verse 12, says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part Part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. This is an important passage, church. Paul is crying out the best he can using a body illustration to say every single part is important and needed. This hand is connected to the body. This hand is not connected to the body. The hand dies while the body continues to live but the body won't function as well. You can pluck my eye out. The eye will die, but the body will continue to live. There's a lot of parts of the body that the body can continue on without, but the person or the part of the body that's disconnected will eventually die. And so Paul's making a huge illustration that you've got to stay connected to the body and we've got to stay connected to the point because we need you. See, you cut the hand off, the body will still function, but it's not going to function as well because that part of the body is missing. If you cut my foot off, my body could still live and my body could still continue, but it's going to limp along rather harshly if the foot is missing while the foot would die because it's not connected. Every single one of us in this room are part of a body. We're part of a larger body called God's church, His kingdom, but we're part of a smaller body called Centerpoint Christian Church. And Paul's crying out to one small church in Corinth and saying, you must stay connected. Grab a hand next to you, if you will, for a moment. Reach across the aisles. Grab a hand. Even if you don't know the person next to you, go ahead and reach out and grab their hand. There you go. You can stand up. That's fine. See, we come in this place and it's so easy for us to live very individualistic lives and very individualistic spiritual lives because we come in here and we sit in rows and we look at the back of each other's heads. I'm telling you, we've got to do di- church different. I'm going to mess you all up one day when we come in here and all the chairs are facing each other. You'll be like, what are we doing? But we are a community, we are a body, and we're connected to one another. But we're used to sitting in my own chair, looking at the back of someone's head, hearing a message and singing some songs, and then going home. And Paul's saying, no, this is so much more than that. So much more than that. We're connected to one another. We need to stay connected to one another. And if we're going to grow in Christ, part of service in God's kingdom is realizing I'm connected to a greater body and I need to stay connected. And when those who are not staying connected because life is happening and they're struggling, we need to go after them and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while been missing you. We prayed this morning. One of my prayers was, God, just help us to open our eyes to see people that are hurting or struggling or need a handshake or need a word of encouragement or need a prayer today because we're all one. And so Paul's getting on us really strongly, like stay connected. In order to stay connected, it takes serving one another. You go ahead and let go of each other's hands. Paul's making this major emphasis that we don't let go. You guys are crazy. Chris and Steve over here holding hands a little bit extra longer, just being silly boys. I did see that. We got, we got it on video too. Paul's making a major emphasis. We must stay together because we have work to do. We have work to do, and you can't do it by yourself. I want you to see this verse, Ephesians 2.10. Look what Ephesians 2.10 says as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about when you were dead and you were without Christ. But then he comes and says, now you're with Christ. And he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has already put a plan together for you and me before we even realized it. And He prepared us to do good works, but the good works do not save us. Because just before that, He says, you are saved by grace through faith. But when we love God, and we really truly love Him, and we know that we're saved by His grace, then our expression of love back to Him is works or service. That we pour ourselves into His kingdom work, and He has prepared in advance for us to do His good works. Why? Because it builds up His kingdom. And when you say, you know, okay, I'm part of a body, and he's giving me gifts, and I'm supposed to be connected, but man, I'm just too busy. Or I'm part of a body, and I know I have gifts, but I just don't want to use those gifts. Well, I'll just wait until they ask me. I'll just wait. If they don't ask me, then I'm not going to jump in. Or I see a need, but I'm not going to spend my energy my time there then what you're doing is you're saying to God who prepared you and who has equipped you with special gifts, you're saying to God, "God, even though you prepared me, and even though you equipped me fully on you." That's what we're saying. See, when we understand it, we look at the Scriptures and we see that Paul has written over and over throughout the New Testament, there are all these different kinds of gifts and he's blessed all of these different kinds of gifts and God has given those gifts out and then he tells us that God prepared us his workmanship in advance because he had stuff for us to do and we say, ah, I, I'm too busy. Oh, but work's got me overwhelmed. There's no way I can serve. There's no way I can be involved. Then you're saying to God, God, what you had prepared in advance, I'm putting a stop to. What you had prepared in advance, I'm done with. And service is where life with Christ gets good. That's where things get exciting. See, you can come in and you can receive the Word of God in teaching or in a small group. You You can do that. But when you start pouring yourself out, God starts doing something inside of you. And sometimes it's one of the hardest things to think about. You're like, wait a minute, I am so worn out, so exhausted because life has got me in every single angle. And now, preacher, you're telling me to find a place to serve in God's kingdom? Absolutely. You go know, to any kind of counselor or psychologist, you're having problems and issues. Many times they'll tell you one of your assignments go serve somebody, go love somebody, go get your eyes off of yourself and go help some people because we need that kind of like being a sponge, and some of you have heard me share this illustration before, but when I was growing up as a kid, my dad would tell me to go out and wash the car, and I would take the sponge, I'd wash the car, I wanted to play basketball instead, so I just threw the sponge in the corner of the garage, and my dad would come in and say, Brian, my sponge is ruined, why is your sponge ruined? Because you didn't wring it out. I mean, I just washed the car real quick, threw it in the corner of the car, let it then sit over there in a the corner all wet, and a sponge that's not been wrung out and dried gets moldy and nasty and stinky. And the way for a sponge to stay healthy is you put it in a bucket of water, you use it, you wring it out, you use it, you wring it out, and then when you think you're all done with it, you wring it out, and according to my dad's rules, you set it out in the sun and let it dry. Some of us are like a stinky sponge. And I say that with as much grace as I can. Some of us, we receive the Word of God, we come in every single week, we go to maybe a small group, but when it comes to the idea of serving, we're like, man, I can't do that. See, the way you say fresh is you let your life get wrung out. You get wrung out through service. You get wrung out by going and loving people. You get wrung out by saying, you know what? I'm going to get involved in that children's ministry. You know what? I'm going to get involved in that student ministry. I don't know how to do it. Some of you have excuses. Well, I can't do that because I don't have the abilities. You don't have the abilities, but God will bless you with the abilities. And God will give you the strength to do some things that you could never imagine or ever dream of. When God tapped my shoulder and said, plant a church, my first thought was, you've got to be crazy, God. And God said, do you trust me? Some of us don't serve because we go, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the abilities. You probably do have the abilities if you would just put your hands in the hand of God and say, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. There's a card on your chair there that looks like this and it's just kind of a summary of some things where you could possibly get plugged into ministry around center point some different areas that you could look at it's not an exhaustive list it's it's a list we kind of come up with and try to keep it up to date and your service doesn't have to be at center point but you need to be serving in a way that you say i'm serving for god I have ways that I'm serving and I'm I'm pouring myself into others, but here's a list of some areas where you can say, you know what, I could plug into some ministry around here and the people to contact, people who to reach out to. I'll tell you, in order to do service, it takes a mind like Jesus. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, Jesus sets the example of servanthood for us like none other. I won't read the whole passage. John chapter 13 you're probably familiar with at some level where Jesus is just before the cross and going to die on the cross and He's spending some last moments with His disciples. They come into the room to have their last meal together and as custom, whenever they would have a meal because they walked on dirt roads with sandals, it was very custom and they sat down low to the table to make sure feet are washed so that none of the dirt of the day on the feet gets transferred to the table. And typically when you would enter into a room and you would have that kind of meal, that kind of supper, usually there was a servant there or a slave who would wash feet. But for some reason, that person's not mentioned in this text in John chapter 13, so maybe they weren't available, or maybe Jesus even told them, hey, let me take care of this today, I'm not really sure. But for whatever reason, there's no one there washing the disciples' feet when they come in for this supper. And so Jesus picks up the towel of servanthood, or really the towel of a slave. He takes that towel and goes to his disciples and says, I'm going to wash your feet before we have this meal together. Some of you may say, wait, Jesus, you can't wash, Don't, don't just wash my feet, wash my entire body. And Jesus is trying to explain, listen, you've already been washed in terms of being saved. Your whole body doesn't need wash. Your feet are dirty. And so Jesus demonstrates a heart of servanthood by putting in that towel and taking on that spot of being a slave. And look what he says in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet... Our sacrificial lamb. Jesus, the one who went to the cross for you and me, got down before his disciples and became a slave and washed his disciples' feet, set an example saying, go and be a servant. You know how you live out those three goals? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself? you got to serve. You demonstrate love to God in serving. You demonstrate love to your neighbor through serving you love yourself because when you serve, you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel better. It's going to help your mental mind. It's going to help your, your, your heart with God. And so when you take service out and you're like, man, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I don't have the time. Whatever it is, all of those are excuses. And I have a, an old coach that used to, Coach Caleb used to say, an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And you stop and ponder on that for a moment. We can have all kinds of excuses and that's Satan giving you reasons that are just lies and Satan is the father of lies. And so I just close with this question. Are you willing to do what Jesus tells you to do? Are you willing to do what he demonstrated for us and then did and then said go and do Likewise. Where are you serving in the kingdom of God? Heavenly Father? God, some of these scriptures cut right to the heart. Some of these scriptures are very directly challenging, Lord, to who we are and whose we are. Because, Lord, if we are truly one of yours, then, Lord, we would love you so much that we would say, where can I serve at? Where can I be bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth by being the hands and the feet of Jesus here on earth? And so, Father, would you open our eyes and our minds and stretch us? Would you help us, Lord, maybe look at this list of serving opportunities and say, it's time I need to jump in somewhere in this local body because I'm part of this body. Lord, would you open our eyes and look around our community? Where does our community need us? Maybe it's a soup kitchen, maybe it's a school, maybe it's... It's some neighborhood event. Lord, where can we go and just be the hands and feet of Jesus? Maybe it's helping out a neighbor. But Lord, help us to take on that towel like you did, the towel of servanthood. Help us to become a a slave to, to our communities that we're involved in and help us to care that much that we demonstrate the love of Christ by doing what you did. And Lord, what you did was dying on a cross too. You died on a cross to save us from our sins. Your blood that was shed. And we say thank You. And Father, we're going to worship You through communion now. And Lord, as we pick up these emblems and we partake and be reminded of Your body that was given on a cross and we're reminded of Your blood that was shed, Lord, we say thank You. And Lord, we see the cross and we see your self-sacrifice, your servanthood in that. Lord, help us to follow that example. Father, we now worship you right now in this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.